Today's scripture reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Phyllis. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about living in a DC bro home is the much smaller yard than I used to have. Yeah. <laughs> in our previous home had a much larger yard with trees and shrubs and a large lawn to mow. And but one thing I learned in caring for the, this yard over the years is, all the, is paying attention to all the different things you have to do at different times of the year. To make the yard workable and enjoyable, you know, different things had to be done at different points of the year. Not only did I have to know how to mow the lawn regularly from spring to fall, I would discover that there is an ideal time to prune the different trees. The plum tree in the back required something different from the Japanese maple, which required something different from the 60-foot mountain ash in the front and the cedar hedges and the Douglas fir that we shared with our neighbor. And during the summer, when all the dandelions came out, I learned that you have to get rid of those dandelions before they turn yellow, from yellow to the puffballs because the kids love to kick them and blow them and multiply all the weeds that you're trying to get rid of. You know, when it came time at the, in the fall to shut things down, I would have to put the lawnmower away and I learned that, you know, putting fuel stabilizer through it and, and doing some maintenance on it would save me a lot of trouble in the spring when it came time to use them again. This seemed like it was hard work at the time, but I knew and I learned that not doing those things would result in more challenges when it came time to use them. In many ways, th this is a lot like the human life, our experience. Our human experience is responding to the ebbs and flows of the seasons 
of change and what brings and comes to us in our lives. And rather than fighting them or ignoring them, addressing them at the right time helps us move and enjoy our life better. You know, in the Ecclesiastes series, Living Life in Reverse, as Jerry reminded us, we've been learning about what it means to live in the present, but in light of our eventual death. When we live life in reverse from this perspective of our death, it helps frame what is most important and truly brings meaning to all that we do in this present life. Now, as a brief side note, after hearing my small group's confusion, uh, let me just clarify something about the uh, when I refer to the writer of Ecclesiastes. His, the, the Hebrew word used in Ecclesiastes is kahelet, which is what I've been using. And that, it's not a name for the writer. It's, it's likely a title referring to the king who has written this book for us. In the NIV, um, as Phyllis read for us, the kahelet is translated as teacher. In other English versions, it's translated as preacher. So when you hear me say kahelet, I'm not saying halibut, the fish, and neither am I saying, to hell with it. <laughs> Which is what some of you apparently heard. But that is a very apt description, perhaps, of Kohelet's attitude towards life. <laughs> so in today's message, we want to learn what God's word has to say about our relationship with time and the seasons. There's time's tyranny. There's times telling, and there's times timekeeper. And for those who are scared of math, there's no times table. <laughs> chapter 3 may be the most recognizable chapter of Ecclesiastes. We often hear the first eight verses read at funerals. And the 60s rock band, the birds, made this, uh, this chapter very popular with their song, Turn, Turn, Turn. The poetry leads, lends towards a, a quiet reflection of times and seasons of life. But rarely do we hear the officiant read past chapter 8. I mean, verse 8, right? When he goes to verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Very true words and realistic words, but not exactly comforting words to those who are gathering to mourn the loss of a loved one. But thankfully, today is a worship service, not a funeral. So we're going to look beyond the first eight verses. Various commentators have grouped these statements differently. But we can observe that Kohelet observes, covers the whole gamut of the human experience. Life brings its delights, but also its seasons of disquiet. There are times of orientation and times of disorientation. There are times of comfort and times of discomfort. The writer's, the, writer rec the writer's repetitive literary structure mimics the rhythm by which all humans have to experience these things in life. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. Here's this table, you know, sorting out the two sections. I think most of us want to be on this left side, right? Born, plant, heal, build, laugh. We want to be on that side, and we want to do as much as we can to avoid the stuff on the right side. Die, uproot, tear down, weep, mourn, scatter, hate, kill. 
The poetry of the first six verses in some ways suggests this tyranny of time. In life, most of us want to be in that left column, but it's inevitable that we will be in that right column. And try as we might want to keep this stuff at bay, or we just ignore them, or we, uh, in seasons of discomfort and disquiet, end up coming. We can't stop them from happening. And in some ways, like this progression of time and its seasons can become a tyranny by, under which we're subject to. For example, those of us living here in the DMV, we all know how well our lives are controlled by the seasons of the year. We have no control over the winter freeze and when school districts call snow days. <laughs> Much to the chagrin of parents. We have no control of the heat and the humidity and the mosquitoes of the summer here in DC. So we try and cope. We manage, we turn up the AC, we make plans to be away during the hottest weeks of the year. We plan our vacations around those times. We do that one year, and then we do it next 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 year. Seasons of coming, and not just the weather here in DC, there's seasons of coming and going. We hear it all the time. Uh, these new people who come, and then old friends leave. New people come, old friends leave. Is this just inevitable? It's just cycles of comfort and discomfort over and over again? All these are dictated by the steady march of time. The opening lines of, opening lines of chapter 3 state that there is a time and a season for everything under the heavens. There's times for orient, orientation. There's times for disorientation. They can, we cannot avoid them. They're just a part of life. Seen this way, it might even be oppressive. We simply live at the whims of the seasons. But what does God have to say about this? And as I mentioned in verse 1, it says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. Not only is there nothing new under the sun, but Kahelet wisely observes that God's control over time means that there is purpose and there is meaning behind everything, every single event. And this brings an honest approach to the human experience, both the good and the bad, the icky things and the comforting things, that we are, the icky things that we want to avoid. It helps us think about what we don't often want to think about. Recognizing that time works in this way, somehow, sometimes tyrannically, helps us hear what time is telling us. We can respond to the tyranny of time in different ways. Some may hear that time is inevitable. It's a fate simply to accept. Some of us simply relent. This is the fate of the universe. I can't stop it, so why bother trying? If I can't stop it, I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to distract myself with entertainment or with substances. And maybe so, those of us who are a little more well-intentioned say, well, I can't stop it, but I'm going to live my best life, do the best as I can until I die. But we really can't stop any of this. So ride it out as best as you can. Enjoy what you can. But what I end up doing in my life until I die, it doesn't really matter anymore in the grand scheme of things. 
Seen this way, our lives are simply at the mercy of the tides of time. And so we try and ride it out and survive as best as we can. You know, others of us might recognize that the tyranny of time and, and here time prompt us to take control of it. We try to bend time, bend all the seasons, and with our wisdom, with our skill, with our intellect, and with our, our planning, we anticipate, we make a three-year plan, a five-year plan, a ten-year plan, and we control our lives, we control our children, we control our spouses, our partners, we control our bosses, our situations. Rather than trusting in our living God, our great American exceptionalism informs the sense of invincibility and reluctance to show any weakness. All in the name of optimism and, reluctant, uh, and, and um, confidence. You know, we take sports psychology and apply it to the rest of our life, saying if you are mentally strong enough, you get enough resources and you plan and ensure yourself against all possible uh, inevitabilities, then you will have a successful life. But you know, this approach in response to the tyranny of time can result in us becoming tyrants ourselves. We become tyrants, and not, albeit not very good ones, <laughs> in an attempt to master time's tyranny over our lives and over the world around us. Can we humans really control time and the seasons and what they might bring us? That's what this chapter helps us think about. Time tells us often to either relent or to take control. But is there another way? You know, David Gibson, uh, I relied on a book by David Gibson for this series. It's entitled Living Life Backwards. And I know exactly what you're thinking. Andrew, did you know that he copied your sermon series title? <laughs> How unoriginal. Let me get, tell you, it's quite the opposite way. And I'm deeply appreciative of his work. David Gibson points out how chapter 3 invites us to, to consider how humans are bounded by time. But God is not. Humans are bounded by time. But God is not. In verse 14, it reminds us that we don't have to respond fatalistically and relent or tyrannically and take control. When we realize that we are bound by time and that God is not, it changes our response to time and its seasons. The seasons of comfort and the seasons of discomfort. You know, we're tempted to think that we are each building the project of me <laughs> It comes through in all of our pithy hashtags on Twitter and Instagram saying, living my best life, being by myself, just doing you, just do you. But at the root of this is a desire to be the architect of your own life, in spite of the seasons and the bounds of time itself. It's an attempt to assemble the most attractive and the most happy life as possible, but often on your own terms. Those who are humble and wise discover that they indeed are neither the architect and they're not even the site manager. They're barely the construction worker on the project that is our life. We may think that we are each writing the story of our lives, but the truly wise realize that we are not its main author. Consider the strands and yarns of a rope 
you know, each of us see this strand, this yarn. This is our life. And we, we look at, and it's orienting in, you know, generally the same direction. We look at the, our neighbors around us, and they look nice. They're kind of going, following the same path. Oh, but there's a couple here that are, you know, nonconformist, so they're fraying and pointing in a different direction. And this is what our life often looks like, and we're focused on this. Little do we realize that, and we try to control where this goes by looking at the ones next to us. But we, little do we realize that it's this is connected to all this, all this. And where does it go? Do we see all this? Do we see all this? We're focused on, on that end. Where does this go? We don't get to see it all. But someone does. You know, many Eastern religions and worldviews observe the rhythms of our world and conclude that, you know, everything's just a continuous cycle. Historical events just repeat themselves in different societies. The human soul lives and dies and lives and dies and lives and dies until it reaches, hopefully, some enlightened state. But the Christian view presented in Scripture is that time is linear. There is a beginning and there is an end, a purposeful end determined by the living God of Scripture. The wisdom of listening to time's progression is learning to accept that we have such limited access and views to our lives. Only God sits outside. I can't even find the end of it. Only God sits outside of this timeline and knows what's going on. This sentiment is conveyed further in verse 14. But we, time moves forward in a linear fashion for a purpose. We find that God does everything so that people will fear him. Now it's easy to read this fear of God as terror. But if God is a God worth trusting and is good and is loving and is powerful, then fearing God suggests more of a reverence and awe. In recognizing God's control and mastery over all things, it's a recognition of the utter separateness of this holy God. We can't compare. And in some ways, it's what a parent hopes their children might see to a lesser degree in them. You know, early on, it's not the child's responsibility to find secure housing for themselves, to change their diapers, to feed themselves and the menu plan. It's not the child's responsibility to, to determine which school to attend and which after-school activities to do. It's not the child's responsibility to figure out how to they're going to get from one activity to another. It's the parent's responsibility. The parent sets up the rhythm and the structure that helps move their child towards health and eventual independence. And as a child approaches preteen and teen years, the parent's job is to wisely and slowly release the teenager to have increased autonomy so that they can build rhythms and make decisions for themselves. And somewhere along the way, as a teenager, maybe as a young adult, or maybe even after you become adult, you realize how much the parents took on to sacrifice 
to create this good environment for you to grow. It comes with a sense of awe and reverence and hopefully appreciation as they move forward into full-on adulting. It's like, wow, mom and dad had to do that? You know, grown-ups, for many of us, are like children when it comes to our own lives and God's ordering of them. See, we have rhythms and cycles in our lives, but only God sits outside of that timetable and is able to see the whole picture of what's going on. And this offers us incredible comfort. As we sang earlier, you make beautiful things. That's verse 11. God makes all things beautiful in his time. This offers us great comfort. It means that we can experience seasons of comfort and discomfort, seasons of uh, delight and seasons of disquiet without losing hope. And even if we're not able to see the reason and the meaning of the, the big picture, we can trust that a good and wise God is painting a beautiful masterpiece that we can't quite see in this present life. We don't see the full picture yet. How might this break down for us living as adults? Bob Beal, Bob with two Bs. I don't know if you can see that. He's a leadership and ment uh, vocational mentor. And he shares about what, it, what to focus on through the decades of our lives. He suggests a word beginning with S for each of those decades. Now, it's not the rule. It's not a hard and fast. It's not the Bible. But this is his wisdom after working with over 5,000 leaders. You know, when you're zero to nine years, you just need security. You just need to know that your world is safe so you can explore it. As a teenager, it's self. Thinking about others? <laughs> Parents, how, do you, how many of you know? <laughs> self. Who am I? Who am I going to be? The 20s are about survival. <laughs> Not about... You don't have to figure out everything for the rest of your life. Just take the time to explore what's before you. Will you make it? Will you survive adulthood? Those are the kinds of questions you're asking. The 30s are about success. How far up will I go? Will I be successful at what I do? 40s, you start navigating significance and struggle and balancing the, the different demands. And he says, you know, don't worry about making tons of money at this point. Just provide for your family. Take care of yourself. Six, 50s, he says, are about hitting your stride. And 60s are about being strategic with your health and with your resources. 70s, you begin thinking about succession. How do I pass on? The, not pass on. How do I pass on my wisdom? <laughs> How do I pass on a legacy? 80s, he says, is about slippery. Things start feeling a little... Looser, health-wise. <laughs> 90s is about sleep. You're just ready to take a nap. Ready to not only take a nap, but all your friends are leaving. People don't remember you as you, they, you've remembered them. You're just Mr. and Mrs. or uncle or aunt. Again, this is not the hard and fast rule, but what was helpful about this, and it might look differently in your lives, but it helps you focus, uh, what his, his wisdom helps us focus at different parts of our, de uh, of our, our lifetime. You can look, up, look him up. He's written a book about it. You can look, search him up on YouTube as well. 
This frees us. God's children have a freedom from the tyranny of time when they trust, that, uh, trust God as a child trusts their parents to see what they cannot see. And what's the key to this relationship? It's a relationship of trust. It's a relationship built on the character of the parents. When the parents are good and wise and kind, then the, children, the child who cannot see from the beginning to end has nothing to fear. Now, our view of God, full acknowledgement, may be colored by our experience of unhealthy gender roles. Or we, we might have experienced trauma for being taken advantage of by fallible human beings. These things shouldn't happen in our lives, but they do. And if that's happened to you, I invite you to let others know that you feel safe and find support for it. Don't navigate that alone. And most of all, ask God for wisdom to reveal God's true character so that you can deepen your trust in the living God. Avoid the temptation to change our view of God because of the trauma we've experienced. You don't have to control the narrative all for yourself because the living God of Scripture is keeping time and nothing escapes God's attention. Verse 15 reminds us of this assurance when he says, Whatever it has, is, is, has already been, and whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. The rest of the chapter talks about God's judgment and justice. You see, we all have a story. I have a story. You have a story. But our stories are not the story. My story has forgotten moments, has jarring interruptions that take place, has unidentified trauma, has unresolved conflict and difficulties. My story has unexplained contradictions. My story has unanswered questions. And in my story, I may have experienced tragic offenses that have gone unpunished. In my story, I probably have, I, like, I know I've done offenses that have gone unpunished. But my story is not the story. The story reveals that one day judgment will come and justice will prevail. God will call the past to account for everyone. If God is God, nothing escapes God's attention. This is liberating. It doesn't mean that we don't work to re refine our stories. It doesn't mean that we abdicate responsibility to work for justice, saying, oh, God's going to figure it all out at the end, so I don't have to do anything. We don't have to surrender everything to fate. But what we can do is hold loosely the work that we do and our expectation that we must control our timeline or the timeline of others. And though we may not be able to see all the results of our labors, someone else does, and someone else will make all things new. Someone else will make all things beautiful. As Kohelet says, God is indeed making all things beautiful in his time, not necessarily ours. The God of Scripture writes a grand story where the hero of the story is not you, but another wise king that God sends. And this wise king doesn't just point out seasons of comfort and discomfort, of orientation and disorientation, 
This wise king takes all those things upon himself. And this wise king takes on the discomfort of sin's burden. This wise king takes on the disquiet of guilt's haunt. This wise king takes on the disorientation of a broken relationship with the living God of the universe when this wise king goes to the cross. This other wise king is none other than Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And this wise king is ultimately who helps us escape the tyranny of time and the burden to control the seasons that life brings. Even if we're unprepared, even if we mess things up, when we put our trust in Jesus, we discover that the one who is outside of time steps into time to ultimately make sense of time. Do you know Jesus this way? Whether you are in a season of comfort or discomfort, orientation or disorientation, delight or disquiet, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith and of our stories. So trust in what he has done and trust in what he will do for your good and for the good of our world.